0: Hello, vets of tomorrow, and welcome to today's Dare to Care podcast. For me, today is a really special podcast because I'm sitting here with veterinarian Taranga Toradiniya from Sri Lanka, with veterinarian Vijay Pao Singh from India, with behavioral scientist Esther Langen from the Netherlands, and agricultural engineer Pim Roymaats. And they're all involved in the field of animal welfare and laboratory science, They've asked their students to submit questions so that we can answer them in this podcast. So welcome everybody to this podcast. I'm really happy to have you here.
1: Hello. Hi.
2: Thanks to, to be here. Hello. Hello. Good to be here.
0: Some of the questions that came in uh, were regarding animal ethics.
1: Um, yes. Well, it's always a uh, difficult because you can look at ethics from always multiple ways, so you can either say yes, we can or you can even discuss and defend no, we can't. So it is most of the time also up to the personal uh, uh, view of the experimentator or the or and that's also an important thing um, that is very common to that the law says you have to use animals, for instance, for testing. In, in Europe, it's not allowed anymore since ooh, already more than 10 years to use animals for cosmetics. So, and, and that's because of the, the public ethics, so to speak. So things change. Um, so whether or not you can use it, it depends on several things like yourself, law, public, and those kind of things.
2: Yes. And uh, if may I add on to that. Actually, uh, scientists and the society is uh, becoming increasingly unhappy about using animals in experiments or involving animals in experiments. And uh, with that, with the new technology, there have been alternatives developed which can replace animal use or animal experiments in certain instances, but still there are certain other instances, as Finn has explained, where law requires use of animals or uh, acquisition of animal data. Uh, There are certain cases where you have to use animals in certain conditions. But there are many more cases, like in cosmetic use, where you can do away without animal experiments where you use alternatives in animal experiments to make sure that the cosmetics or the chemicals used in these products are safe for human use. Could you give a few uh,
0: examples of the techniques that you can use to replace animals?
2: Yes, there are uh, cell-based methods, cell culture methods and tissue culture methods and also organoids which can be uh, developed from the cells which can replace animal experiments and of course, the organ-on-chip, which is a replacement, which resembles the human biology. And also there is computer modeling, which can replace some of the experiments that we have been conducting in animals. And human is the best model, because uh, biologically humans are not similar to any other animals, the commonly used animals, uh, mice or rats. So, whenever possible, human models will be the best model to replace animals.
0: Talking about humans, you are not only a veterinarian, but you're also a teacher at the medical faculty. How do you involve your medical students in the idea of ethics in animal experiments?
2: Yes, um, interestingly, I was uh, lucky to introduce a small special to my medical students on animal ethics, animal welfare and one welfare. So, uh, I tell them, I discuss with them uh, why it's important to to consider animal ethics and animal welfare, especially in animal experimentation, in laboratory animals, because if somebody is concerned about animals or care for animals, they obviously will care for humans. So uh, when doctors or medical students care for certain patients, some patients cannot express themselves. So animals will be the same. Animals can't express, but they do feel. They do feel pain and they have their own interests. So if you understand the interests of the animals, then you're definitely going to be understanding the interests of your patients and care for your patients. So that's what I try to uh, give my students. And then I take them on a tour to the laboratory facility where they will get the chance to handle the animals and experience uh, how animals feel and how animals tend. So they are more careful in handling animals and treating animals and obviously in future the, uh, when they treat their patients.
0: Him and also Vijay, you both have years of teaching experience, very different types of people. Do you see any differences in how they approach animal welfare and lab science?
3: Vijay, you go first. Okay, so... Uh, coming to that uh, training part, and, uh, I would say that uh, the spectrum of the ethical justification is wide. So there are people, because the morality and norms and value comes in. Now, being grown up in India, vegetarian is one of the concepts where you don't harm animal at all. So I would say there are range where people say, no, we don't want to do any animal experiment. They prefer mostly the tissue from the human side and all. And there are people who say, okay, everything goes. So the spectrum of ethical justification is quite wide. And uh, it is uh, now the ethics which is basically coming from the regulator that you have to have ethical committee and you have to justify the pain as well as the benefit that comes out of it. And if justification is proper, which what we are doing in our uh, course that we are doing with Utrecht University uh, two weeks course, residential course, now, the the question that you asked, what the training helps? So, before they join the course, usually they have the concept, oh, they know a lot. But veterinarian thinks mostly that it is only the help. If animal is healthy, everything is taken care But when they come into the course and see the integrity, they are changed person. So, this training is, so, of course, they come at the level of one, and when they go back, At the spectrum 10, usually they are at the level of 7 and 8. And not perfect, but how do you judge whether this training program is helping or not? After the two courses that we have done with the Utrecht and thereafter we started doing this course independently, we have nearly trained 90% exactly. And out of that 19, 23% have started the similar course, uh, two weeks course in their institute with a similar kind of certification. And we recently, I proudly say, that we got a certification also from the Phalasa, which we are striving, striving to. But it is so popular that it is as soon as it is open up, the seat gets filled up immediately. So it is very well taken up. People have changed. And now, after the training program, we have a session and we ask them, how do you feel now? Are you feeling that you know everything? They say. Thereafter, they say that we were taking it very lightly, and it is not so likely. Yeah,
1: I, I totally agree with uh, what Vijay says. Um, most of the time, it well, depends a little bit. It, it depends on the course, and it depends on the country, and depends on on age of your participants. Um, especially when you have the young students, or uh, the, the young professionals, so to speak, they have a different View already, yeah, they they actually the three R's as we uh, as we call it in laboratory science refinement, reduction and replacement that's almost in their DNA already. So they are very aware of these kind of things, especially young people. They are critical, not always uh, depends, but yes they change after these two weeks. All parts of all the education they had for, comes together. So at the end, they have a nice overview of what laboratory animal science actually means. So what it means to the animal, what it means to your experiment, what it means to your results, even what it means to work together. <laughs> yeah. So yes, this course is a, a course which, and that's the main thing actually. you, ca- you cannot measure this, but it's attitude. The attitude towards laboratory animals and using laboratory animals in your science. That's the main thing. And yes, people think about it. Let me put it this way. They have been thinking about it and then they grow and they use this in their, in their uh, professional life.
4: And can I maybe add to that, like, the 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 thing that you mentioned, them, if they learn to work together also, I think that also relates back to what PJ said. That there's a lot of variation in how people view animal ethics from the start, I think. And they can really learn a lot from each other also, because also a lot is realizing that many people can have different attitudes and that you need to deal with that and that you really need to think about the experiments that you're going to do and uh, really ethically... Be sure that it, that it fits, you know, that, it, that that you are ethically allowed to do all these things. I think this really helps also.
0: You all just mentioned, you know, people from different backgrounds working together and their academics designing their experiments. But obviously in lab animal science, it's not only the academics working, but on the day-to-day workspace, you have a lot to do with animal technicians. And in a lot of ways, they do the hard work. They have to kill the animals. What would you like to say to veterinary students about working together with animal technicians and the animals?
4: I would say it's a really really important task also in your part to keep really close in touch with your animal technicians and your animal caretakers, because like you said they do sometimes you can call it the dirty work, but they're also the people that see your animals every day So they have a huge influence on also even the outcomes of your experiment, because if they might uh, take things a bit too lightly or not, you know, a bit too extreme maybe, uh, that can change the outcome of your experiment. So it's really important that you talk to these people, inform them also about the study that you're doing, why it's important, so that they can realize, you know, what are they working together with you on. And they are working together with you. So... Talk to these people also because it helps you keeping an eye on the welfare of your animals, which is of course, obviously one of the most important things. And they are, like I said, the people that see your animals each and every day. So that's really, really important to, uh, yeah, to keep these people as your, as your friends, I would say. And plus they have a lot of experience usually. So like for me, for example, uh, I'm quite, young and new in the field, I would say, especially compared to uh, my fellow um, hosts here, I would say. Uh, and for example, my, my animal caretakers, for, for some things, they know a lot more than me. So I, I really uh, appreciate them helping me with things and assisting us.
1: I totally agree with you, uh, Esther. Uh, and what's very important, and that's what I, I, I've seen and learned when we went abroad to do this laboratory animal science course, is that this laboratory animal science course is for academics. And we're training academics. And in a lot of countries, there is no education, no education at all uh, for technicians and caretakers. I know a story which I... Uh, encountered in the first course in India with Vijay, that one of his uh, animal caretakers was his former car mechanic, was looking for a job. I've been uh, several times last few years in Egypt, where they literally take the the people from the street to take care of their animals. Um, And then these people have to train each other without any education. So you can imagine what kind of results you are getting from your experiments if you have unqualified technicians and caretakers. I'm not talking about these people themselves because they want to learn. And that's especially uh, what what happens also in Egypt. Uh, We organize now courses for technicians and caretakers. They were completely overbooked. And they were so anxious to learn, but there is nothing. So please, please, academics, take care of your staff. Take them with you. Just as Esther said, they are your eyes and ears in the animal room.
3: Saranga
0: and Vijay, what are your thoughts on this?
2: Uh, yes, Annette, I totally agree with Esther and Tim. Yes, we have to... uh educate them. When I do courses, I usually involve the animal caretakers and the technicians in our facility and invite other technical people and the caretakers also so that we can learn together and discuss together and discuss the issues they have. And uh, we are actually planning some courses for the uh, animal caretakers and the workers in the animal facility So that uh, in our own native language, because sometimes they don't express themselves because of the language barrier. So uh, we have to plan courses in our native language so that they'll be free to express. And of course, the students uh, interact uh, one to one with the caretakers, obviously, and uh, they learn from them because they have vast uh, experience on animal experiments and animals involved in experiments and also the behavior although they have not technically learned uh, about these things uh i
3: i i would like to add here as been pointed out by pin that I, I i just picked up all my technician from either from they were mechanic or they were the distributor of the newspaper and all but i would find they were very very keen learner They are your first hand information that they give to you. Like if you are inducing the model for diabetes and you are giving streptocytocin medication, it is they who will come and tell us that bedding is getting better fast and fast. So we have to change the bedding more frequently. And they are the person who are really your friend at first. Whatever you plan, they were the first. But... In India there is no specific course which is designed for the technician. So this our course became popular and they just want to tell statistics. We have 1600 registered organization who are doing animal experiments and we are also the largest generic medicine producer and vaccine producer. So there is a great demand for the vet, especially the vet student to be trained in laboratory animal science. but we have no institutionalized course, and in the veterinary school, there is a there is a one or two credit things which is for laboratory animal as well as for of wild animal. But there is no means a a strong institutionalized course for laboratory animal science. So I think this is very good field for the upcoming veteran, as we have a lot of uh, this uh, new specialty coming up for uh, doing experiments on animal and. Your technicians are your attendants are the first-hand uh, person who give the right information and very, very good stories from our courses. And they are also the very, very keen learner. They always ask for extra time after the course that I did not get this, tell, tell me and teach me. And that's we used to do with our team from Netherlands. Thank you.
0: So let's imagine we've got a very good technician at our side and we enter the animal room. Esther, maybe as the behavior biologist, could you explain us what would you like to see in your ideal mice and rat room?
4: Well, first of all, like the, the basics, of course. So clean cages, no heavy smell, which could lead to or point to high ammonia levels, which could really affect the animal's airways, for example. I would say also in research, probably uniformity, so standardization of caging, of housing, etc. So if you use enrichment, for example, it it should all be the same for each and every animal. If I come into the room at the time point where the animals are active, like I'm thinking about rats and mice here, um, I would like to see active animals indeed. Uh, So no signs of wounding or bleeding uh, or all those kind of things. Uh, all the animals should have been fed, of course. They should have had uh, water, etc., etc. Um, and I'm specifically also looking at the behavior. So when the animals are active, do I not see any uh, stereosities, for example? So sometimes you might see these things where animals keep on jumping up and down in the corner of a cage, which could uh, point to a welfare problem. It's not necessarily always related to that, but it could really point to this. So that would definitely tell me that I need to keep a closer look on these animals and check what we have been doing and whether maybe something went wrong. Um, And also in general, I think you need to always check for the documentation. So is everything clear? Which kind of studies are you doing? Uh, Are all the animals monitored in the correct way? Do we report, for example, changes in body mass? And um, yeah, stuff like that. I can give you a lot more examples on these things but just to make sure that everything is being kept in check and uh yeah that we're still following the guidelines as we as we stated them before i would say
0: and what do animals uh, like mice and rats need to express their
4: uh, uh species specific behavior yeah yeah that's a very good question Um, Well, I guess, well, if you were talking about all the entire range of species specific behaviors, then uh, I think it would be almost impossible to keep them in the lab, actually. So we, I do have to mention that we restrict them, of course, in some ways. Like for example, uh, a very obvious one is that we don't keep our males and females together because we don't let them breed for each and every study. So you're limiting them in that way. But in general, um, yeah, I would definitely say, of course, enough space to to move around is a very obvious one, but also sometimes an overlooked one, I think. Uh, they definitely need shelter. So that's really been shown. So that's also why nowadays, uh, at least here in the Netherlands, the standard cage always uh, has a shelter in it. Um, and that wasn't always the case. So they were also also uh, in the past just kept on, uh, on bedding And before that, even without bedding. But uh, yeah, so a shelter, definitely. Because, I mean, you have to think that they're whole living creatures. Like they burrow, so they dig burrows and they live in there. So naturally, they are creatures that that when there's danger, they want to hide. And uh, we really want to give them that opportunity. Because if you you take that away, uh, that can lead to a lot of unnecessary stress. And especially, you can imagine if you're doing, for example, a study on certain diseases where the animals are maybe not feeling so well, this urge to to hide um, is, is very strong, becomes very strong naturally. And you don't want to interfere with that necessarily because that could affect also the healing process uh, and all sorts of things actually. Um, they like, well I mean, they're active, like is maybe the wrong word, but they're active during the uh, um, not during the daytime, so they're mostly active actually around sunrise and sunset. So you have to keep these things into account that there is kind of a day-night cycle. And when you check them also, you need to also keep in mind that when you go during the day when all the lights are on, probably you're not going to see much. So you need to keep that in check as well. Um, and also when it comes to lighting, for example, uh, you need to make sure that lights are not too bright because they they don't deal with that naturally uh, so well. Same thing goes for sounds. So sounds actually have to be relatively constant so that they can get used to them or you have to avoid them, which is kind of impossible, I would say in a lab setting. So for example, what we do if we have, is we have radios on all the time so they kind of get used to human voices and different sounds so they don't get startled uh, when you come into the room, for example. I think that would be the basics. Um, I mentioned bedding already before, and I think bedding is also a really important one because, like I said, they're burrowing animals, so they like to dig, Um, and bedding gives them a bit of an opportunity. Of course, we don't give them huge cages uh, with lots of bedding, usually, because that would also uh, constrain um, the welfare checks of the animals. If they can really dig deep into their bedding, then you won't see them anymore. Um, But some bedding is really required also for Um, absorbing the urine for example uh, it's it's easier to keep things a bit cleaner I think
0: and would anybody else like to add anything on specific um, requests for lab animal science welfare
1: well actually again it's the field of Esther, but it's also a question of trial and error Um, if you paper for instance or Tubes or, uh, you can, you can just try as a, as an academic or as a caretaker technician uh, that you put in things which you might think will fit in the behavior of that s- species. Always make sure you do this uh, in collaboration with each other so that also the, ex- the, the, the researcher knows what's happening in the cage and animal room. Because that might be of influence of the experiment and the results, of course. Um, so experimentation helps, and it's it's nice maybe to mention um, that since Esther is taking uh, the responsibility of our courses in 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 our university, uh, a lot of things already changed. For instance, um, but that's that started earlier. But now we really use it is not picking up a mouse or a rat, by the tail, based on the tail, but we have tubing now, that we let the animal walk in, then we take the whole tube with the animal, and then put it on the, on the lid, and if you have to restrain the animal, then we will restrain the animal, of course you use the tail, etc, etc, but that part from out of the cage, on the lid, it's hardly any uh, stress for the animal, so that you, you skip that one, so you will have happier animals, and, as one of my, my colleagues always say, uh, says, happy animals make good research. And that's what you want. You want to have as stressless as possible animals, not completely stressless because they need to stress like we do to obtain, uh, uh, the, the right, um, uh, to be a good animal, so to speak. Um, another important thing is, um, and especially also for the caretakers and technicians, but also for the researcher, when you enter a room, one of the first things will be to scan, to scan the room. And it's exactly what uh, Esther just said, to scan on light, sound, uh, food, etc. But you, you you look around your room and you should see immediately if something is wrong. Um, veterinarians should be trained in this way because if they enter a stable then they should be able to see, okay, that one is standing properly, that is laying on the floor, because that. but that's a normal uh, behavior. And, that, oh, there's something wrong. And that's something also what you have to learn by experience to see quickly whether things are good or bad. So scanning is important.
3: Yeah, and uh, just I would like to head here, what Esther uh, already pointed out, that it's very, very important to understand that these animals are noctural animals. So whenever we do and try to get some data out of them, we should try to get them in a very, very active stage. Usually in most of the animal facility, what we see that the uh, light and our cycle is matched for our convenience. So that is very important first that we have to know them that they are nocturnal an animal. Also, when we are trying to get some data, I can give an example that when we are asking them to sit in a chamber like in plasmograph, or some for measuring their blood pressure and all. It is important to let some of the urine and feces of some other animal be there, not to be very clean, so that other animal don't feel stressed. When it is completely spotlessly clean, another animal come. Yeah, either have some disorder also, it may spread infection, but it is important when another animal come in such environment with other animal already been there, so they feel little bit very relaxed, and you get quickly the adaptation and also the reading, which is more scientifically correct and also reproducible. That's two point I have to add.
2: Uh, yes, Annette, to add on, actually, we have to remember now these lab animals, we are breeding them in captivity. They are free animals, they have been free animals, but we have made them uh, now captive animals. So it's our responsibility, our duty to keep trouble away from them. Actually, uh, humans and non-human animals, humans are animals actually, so that's why I'm saying humans as well as non-human animals, have common interests, like staying away from trouble and avoiding pain, avoiding trouble. So if these animals have been free, then they would keep away from trouble. But what happens now is you're keeping them in cages. So imagine a situation where a cat comes into the animal house where the rats are so will they not feel it they have that instinct they're scared of uh, uh, these animals so you have to keep trouble away from the animals because now the animals can't be away from the trouble because they're captive so I think that's the key message that you have to keep in mind like us they don't want to suffer they don't like to suffer they don't like to be stressed they don't like pain so it's your duty to keep pain and trouble and stress, distress away from these animals. Then your experiments will be successful, otherwise if you do experiments in animals who are not happy as Kim says, then you are very likely to get uh, results which cannot be reproduced, which are not successful.
0: Now, now we've talked a lot about uh, rats and mice, what about other experimental animals?
4: So I think in general, the same rules apply, right? So you need to keep them happy. So you always need to be aware of the the species that you're working with. And if there are multiple strains, also even with the strains. So then I take an example back from uh, from rats, for example. Different strains really have different behaviors. And that can affect what they need. So I think in general, you always need to know your animal. That's also what PIM always tells our students. You need to know the animal that you're working with. How they live uh, naturally, basically to to say something also about the needs that I would have, so that you can adapt to that, actually,
1: yeah, including that you have you even have to know the the different uh, things about the inbred strains. They can, as I as said, they can behave differently. You have mice.
0: Sorry to interrupt you. Could you maybe yeah. just quickly explain what an inbred strain is?
1: An inbred strain. We have mice, rats, and a lot of uh, rodents, even rabbits and guinea pigs also that have been bred for 20 generations, brother sister, and uh, so that's inbred, really inbred, so that you will get 100% homozygote animals. So uh, genetically, they're all the same, and that's part of the, the they call it genetical standardization. And that's what you want actually also in, well, there is a different school coming up. They're talking about wildlings. So keep your mice and rats as diverse in DNA as possible. But there's two schools now. So let's stick to the inbred strain. So they're all more or less the same. So they will respond more or less the same to the treatment you're going to give to these animals for instance, when you're doing a study on uh, uh, medicines. yeah. So it's a standardization of animals. And the reason of that one is you probably need less animals. So inbred strains really mean inbred animals. 20 generations, at least. Yeah, Whether or not, just like Esther said, whether you're not working with a mouse or with a cow or with a dog, it's... A animal, and they all have this the same
3: intrinsic value. Coming to the different animal, I, I have the privilege to work with a very unique animal that is buffalo. And in the buffalo, we work, uh, we try, we prove that buffalo is the right model for vitiligo. Vitiligo is the white patches which comes into the dermis. So, and it is uh, it is always good, as Pim has emphasized, to know your species. So, if you are working with buffalo, you should know what buffalo want. Buffalo don't want cage, buffalo don't want this is very clean, this thing, but they like to go into the pond and sitting into the water, they want to ruminate. So, this is what we learn in our, means with uh, research. So, it's very important to understand the intrinsic and extrinsic value. Extrinsic value, we say, it is what we get out of animal, like we get from animal data, we get from animal our milk, we get from animal our bull or whatever. And when coming to the intrinsic value, intrinsic value that is what is important in their species. Nobody can take away the value that you have. I being Vijay Pal Singh have some value, intrinsic value. It is my value. Nobody can take away that one. So every animal have their value and we must try to give their value Intrinsic, understanding their intrinsic value, we should try to give them the maximum possible environment that they feel good about it. Like if it is buffalo, the pond, if it is a uh, pig, then we should provide them the area where they can snout and do uh, do the rooting behavior. If it is a pole seed, so they can fly, not in the A4 size case. With these things, I think, if the good the intrinsic value it is, Best will be the extrinsic value, which is the data, which is important for the science and which is important for the good science, which is reproducible. So it is very important to understand. And this is, I think, Esther can best reply. But since I'm also from the Parmic background, the animals are different. Different strains are different. Bulbs is totally different from C57 VL6 c 2 c and BL6 is totally different from C. salvano and also CK43. So with that only, we should try to maximize what they want and maximize their intrinsic value. So the output that is extrinsic value will also be good. Thank you. And what are the most commonly
0: used species in animal lab science around the world? Is the difference in Netherlands compared to India or Sri Lanka?
3: I think mouse is the most commonest used and in mouse if I point out it is the most common is the black C57 BL6 from, uh, my point of view or maybe Swiss or, but C57 is most common used mouse, uh, uh
1: As VJ says, mice is the most common one. I will think about poof, 50%. Then probably rats about 30%. Then we have close to each other are fish in general and uh, birds. They will be about maybe eight, nine percent. And then all the other species, they will have one or two percent or less. So uh, mice and rats are the most commonly used uh, animals. So rodents, rabbits. And then you have the the... Cattle is not that much, uh, but fish and poultry is also very uh, relatively high, and it's getting higher. Fish are rising, and poultry is rising too in the numbers.
0: Now, I'm looking at the list of questions here a bit, and there's one question that um, I would like to ask you now, and that is how can we collaborate on animal welfare as vets to improve both their physical and mental well-being? Now, I think... um, you are a very nice group to talk about this because Saranga is not only working with veterinary students but also with medical students. She's also collaborating very closely with Vijay. And him and Vijay have also worked together a lot in the past. So what have you all gained from it?
1: Well, first of all, friendship. Um, and second, um, well, laboratory animal science science in general is an international business so you need to realize that you have to collaborate with other institutes uh, other countries um, so different people so it, it, it is a mixed group of people with the same interest um, what you also learn is if you if you if you do it in this way you learn about other cultures uh, it, it sounds a little bit simple but it is it works that way so laboratory animal science is collaboration it's not only in your own institute but it's collaboration with other institutes in other countries and other researchers that's what I learned from it that's what I picked up and that's what it makes that makes it also nice that you can in this way especially when you're teaching you can travel around the world and give to people give your knowledge to people So that they can improve because the whole circus of the international course on laboratory animal science is i will not say that we in the netherlands and europe are perfect far from this but we have an advantage on this on this issue of laboratory animal science and there's a lot of still questions and things to improve in other countries and Bringing your knowledge to other countries where people can learn and higher their standards. And actually it's all because of better science and better welfare for the animals. So it's again, it's a, it's a plus plus. It's a win-win situation. And, and, and that's what you learn from working together with different countries, cultures and people. That's what I learned from it.
3: Okay, uh, and uh, we started, I st- after my course in Utrecht, uh, meeting the PIM, Vera, and all these collaborators, we s- we implemented the same course. Then uh, I met uh, Dr. Tharanga, and we did a workshop there, and we are continuously doing workshop there, and we are getting a very good response. Then we met Lokoman, we went to Malaysia, then Hui, Indonesia, but... What I would like to say that you are asking physical and mental being. Before the training program, I myself as well as most of the veterinarian and the people who come for our training program, they think that most of the requirement is that you provide the animal feed, bedding, water, cage, air conditioning, air cycle change. these But they really don't care that this is something called as mental being also. But once they come and we 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 interact with them and I I myself are also been changed that it is not only what is the physical requirement. You have to also provide something that they can do about it. As we have mentioned also, that simply putting a tissue paper into the cage of mouse can really help them a lot. Holding them not by tail by cupping, which is a common later method, can really help them. And also by putting some enrichment, also putting some Extra bedding so that they can, uh, they can grow. These are the very things. And also we learned that they produce ultrasonic sound and they communicate through ultrasonic sound. So we have, we show them video, we should do them the case study. And after that, they feel, oh, there is something called as mental being or also there is something called as, yes, they are also like that. And I often give the example to them that in our training program when we get everything when we are in jail. We get feed, bedding, water, everything, but we don't have freedom. Same thing is for anyone also. So, we, 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 this this component which are somehow or some time overlooked are being emphasized by different soft example. And we, people usually become fan of him when he is teaching in our courses. And everybody start to call him professor. And he's very good in that basically. So, it is a, is a collaboration have taken us to all part of the world and also collaboration have I personally feel very satisfied that it had led to lot of people who are changed because now I get invitation from all over India to organize course here and there. So it is basically collaboration which is holistic and which people demand when they see the quality
2: especially the students ask how we can collaborate and get involved in the work that we do, which is really encouraging because I think that we have to instill these qualities from childhood, from school days, to care about animals, to think about their pain and think about their well-being, welfare, so that the uh, society as a whole will be a happy society at the end. So I think we... Uh, we year to take this uh, training to all parts of Sri Lanka, all parts of Asia particularly, because as Pim says, that we have to collaborate because you're at advantage in uh, the developing world where things are a little better sometimes. So it's always good to collaborate and share resources and experience so that we can change the people, participants who undergo our training, which is really rewarding as well. Now, I'm uh, picking up on
0: um, one of the other questions, and that is how can vet students connect? Uh,
4: For veterinary students, uh, talk to each other, but maybe also talk to, for example, uh, uh, people in the behavioral field, because especially, I think you're very well educated, you really have a huge advantage when it comes to uh, investigating and saying something about an animal's physical health um but well i'm speaking from my own experiences here in the netherlands i think that veterinary students uh how they're being taught about uh animal welfare animal behavior so mostly their mental health is is a smaller part it's not not there but they know a bit less so i think it's really worthwhile actually to also uh spread your wings so to say and talk to other people about these issues I think you can learn a lot from that and cooperate. So talk to each other, learn from each other. That's, I think, the most important thing. Um, and also be aware that you also have huge skills, uh, that can help improve animal welfare. Yeah. So you, you definitely have a big, big part to play, uh, in that respect. And as long as you take that seriously, I think, um, uh, and co- cooperate with other people, I think, um, uh, yeah, you will end up at a really good place.
3: So I think the best example that COVID have opened us is the corona, is that we can do a lot even without meeting physically. And one of the best is that we are sitting across different parts of world and doing and learning. And um, uh, as far as the laboratory animal sciences is concerned, the collaborations we are developing a network is happening a lot. But I think laboratory and well science for the teaching part, we are still waiting that because that cannot be done online. So that if Corona restriction goes and we can we can start working physically. But yes, the Corona have given us the opportunity to connect uh, in the way that we never thought before. And there is a possibility of doing international virtual conferences. That is happening a lot nowadays. In fact, of course, we don't know. We like to meet physically. But I think the new avenues are there which we should explore by meeting people across the world without the restriction of visa and also the funding issues.
4: I want to quickly go back to the previous point because I just realized something also. I I think I really want to say to these students, keep on asking your questions and don't take everything for granted. That's also a big thing, I think, that a lot of people do things a certain way because they have been doing it forever but uh, you're the new person here um, and you can actually help them maybe keeping them on their toes so to say
2: yes I, I should reiterate that don't take things for granted and keep on asking questions i'm so grateful to the wet students who ask these questions uh, so that shows the enthusiasm um, please keep asking questions and uh, we'll be happy to connect you to uh, seek knowledge in whatever way that you would like to do it. Uh, and uh, we can have these uh, connections and discussions online without meeting physically. And of course, uh, it's good to have uh, uh, training on site where you really feel the animals and uh, learn to handle the animals in the correct way so that uh, you will learn better. But until such time, please keep on asking questions and keep that critical mind open and leave space for learning. There's no end for your enrichment for your learning.
1: If I can add to that one, being the most senior one in this group, let me put it this way. Um, I just mentioned in the beginning that we are now using this tube to pick up animals from the cage and then transport them without touching their tail or when you have to, then you put it on the lid. And that's something that started a year and a half. And Esther, now the new uh, uh, um, responsible person, she introduced this in the course. Now, me being old-fashioned, I was a little bit reluctant to it. Come on, it's much easier to pick it up by the tail. Boom, it's done. No, now we're doing it like this. Now we're teaching it even to the students, to also the vet students, to use this tube. So what I like to Add to what has just been said, which I totally agree with, is also be open. Open for new things. Critical, of course, and ask your questions, but be open. And that's not only for young people, but especially for elder people. Be open and, and see what happens. Of course you have to be convinced that it works, but most of the time, just let it happen, see what happens, And then you might be convinced and you change things. We changed a lot last year. Like another thing is we, normally we, and talking about what we always did, we had 10 10 mice in one cage. Now we have 5 mice in the cage. And it works as good for, it's okay for the mice. And it also works for the students. So we have less animals. And that's the R of reduction. So that's also being open, looking at what can you change, does it work and change it for the better for the animals, for the research, for society.
0: Now, thank you all so very much answering the students and also be really open, not only about what you know, but also about how you feel and what you want students to know from your position, and I do hope that lots of students do feel inspired to ask more questions and to ask the teachers actively on ways to how to collaborate maybe with students in other countries. So thank you all very very much.